Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Um, take your seats. We're going to jump into this. Um, God is so faithful and so good. And we're excited about what he's doing. Even in the midst of trials and tribulations and all that goes on, God yet remains faithful. Um, so I was supposed to do Proverbs. Supposed to, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, the Lord called an audible. <laughs> uh, so the title of this message is Faith Don't Fail Me Now. Um, in the midst of all that we have going on, sometimes we make we wonder if our faith will fail us. The question should be is that are, <laughs> are we going to be able to withstand until the manifestation of our faith happens? Because um, our faith will not fail you. But um, anyway, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this word that we're about to receive. Let it, I pray that it falls on good ground. I pray that our hearts are open just as our Bibles are open to what you will have to say and do in our lives. Um, that we will be doers of the word and not just hearers of this word, Lord God. And we just pray that we are encouraged by it. We just thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're coming out of Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. Again, my name is Virgil Moore. Uh, but yeah, Luke 22, 31 through 34. And it talks about Jesus uh, predicts Peter's denial. That's the title in my Bible that it has. But um, um, I'll give you a moment to get there. Luke 22, 31 through 34. 31 says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, which Luke's name is Simon, uh, Peter's name is Simon Peter. Simon, 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 indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. This is what Peter says, and we know what happens. And then he says, then uh, Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow uh, this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Amen. Isn't it just like us? Sometimes we're so ready with our words on what to do. But when the rubber meets the road, Peter was found lacking. because He had just said, I'm ready to go to prison or to death. But when it came time, uh, Peter was not ready to go to prison or death. (laughs) Sometimes the trials that we go through will prove if we believe what we say. We can say a whole lot sometimes, but the trials we go to will really prove if we believe what we say. Um, I have a lengthy introduction here because I wanted to kind of paint this picture of what was going on to set this up. And at this time, Jesus and the disciples were preparing for Passover. And it's a significant time of Passover. Uh, Jerusalem was filled with people, and many people were wanting to see the Messiah. And they were excited about this Passover. Passover remembers the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, which was the central act of redemption in, redemption in the Old Testament. Jesus now provided the center for redemption to be remembered by a new ceremonial meal. 
So Passover before Jesus was about Israel's redemption out of uh, out of Egypt. But now Jesus was on the scene and he was going to do something different with this Passover. The phrase, the day of unleavened bread, is a generic description of the week-long feast. Um, so normally they have Passover and then they have the day of unleavened bread. And those things kind of combined and led into Passover. Uh, unleavened bread was originally celebrated at the beginning of harvest and then it was combined with Passover. Also during this time, Judas was preparing to betray Jesus. And Jesus was aware of this. So Jesus is preparing for Passover and the day, uh, the day of unleavened bread. He's also aware that Judas is going to betray him. In addition to preparing for Passover and being aware of his impending betrayal and knowing that he was going to be separated from the Father, he also had the task of introducing this new covenant. So he was also teaching. Uh, When the bread was lifted up at Passover, the head of the meal said, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. So Passover, again, was central to Israel coming out of Egypt before Jesus came on the scene. And all the, all the parts of the elements had something to do with Egypt, I mean, Israel coming out of Egypt. So the bread was a bread of affliction. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone needy come and eat Passover meal. Everyone eating from Passover meal has symbolic meaning. Meaning, the bitter herbs recall the bitterness of slavery. The salty water remember the tears shed uh, under the Egyptians' oppression. Jesus didn't give the normal explanation for the meal at this time because now it was going to have a new meaning. He was going to be the bread. He provided the blood. And he was going to redeem not just Israel but all mankind. So Jesus is preparing for Passover, entertaining his betrayer, aware of his soon crucifixion, teaching important foundational doctrine, and then... His disciples are arguing about who's going to be great. Isn't it just like when you got so much going on, then the kids act up to? <laughs> or there's something brewing everywhere. And I, and I wanted to paint this because that's, this is life. This happens. Jesus is familiar with being very busy, having a lot to do, having a lot of responsibilities, and under that pressure. And even with entertaining his betrayal and all that was going on, he had his disciples discussing who was going to be greatest amongst them. It's almost frightening to think that after Jesus poured into them for almost three years of his life, after they saw his character displayed, after they saw all that he did, this was what they were arguing about, who was going to be great. And, you know, we may may have responded with an attitude or may have been angry or may have said, man, what's wrong with y'all? Why are y'all arguing about this? This is stupid. Uh, But Jesus didn't do that. Virgil may have, but Jesus didn't. (laughs) Uh, Jesus instead answered their question in humility. He washed their feet. and He said, the greatest among you will be those who serve. In fact, the supreme patience of Jesus was displayed in his gentle correction among the squabbling of his disciples. He knew that authority, he knew that they thought authority came from power and position, but Jesus in his kingdom says authority comes from serving and humility. The world exercises authority by a certain style of self-exalting. Jesus wasn't like that, and neither should his followers. In 
fact, the greatest should be like the younger that governs themselves like the one who serves. And when you think about it, we have in our culture think that, uh, you know, we like to go to restaurants so we can be served. I remember my wife saying, I don't want to go to a buffet. I want to sit down so somebody can bring me my food. And I was like, ah, that's interesting. Uh, (laughs) And in their culture back then, being served was a sign of wealth. Uh, And even in some cultures, people grew their fingernails really long so that they couldn't do for themselves. They had to be served. And having long fingernails was a sign of wealth because someone had to serve you. Right? It's strange, right? I did. I I researched that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. Yes, that's a sign of wealth, you know. Long females. Praise the Lord. That that style didn't um, continue. <laughs> but yeah, um, in our culture now, people want to be served, but truly, the servant is the one who's greatest. Uh, Kings of Kings is a title full of majesty, but Servant of Servants is the name our Lord preferred when he was here below. That's from Spurgeon. So let's go back to our verses that we're looking at. So that that builds us up to where Jesus is right now. So he's talking to Peter and saying that the Satan desires to, Satan has asked of you. So this makes me think about when he says Satan has asked of you. Satan, the accuser, it it makes me think about Job because it seems like there was some conversation going on behind the scenes that Peter was not aware about and that Satan asked specifically about Peter and what he could do. And Jesus was aware of this spiritual battle behind the scenes and Peter was no doubt ignorant of this fact that Satan has asked of him that he may sift him as wheat. And I know Peter and, and so... There may be conversations behind the scenes about you and what the enemy wants to do to you. And thanks be to God that we have Jesus, our big brother, on our, on our behalf. Matthew 16, verses 13 through, I think goes through 19. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say I say that I am? The Son of Man am. Who do uh, who? Let me say that again. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, others says of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? And this is important because he's asking them because they know him best. They've been around him for a little while. So not what other people say, but what are your feelings? What are your personal feelings about who I am to you? And Simon Peter asked and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Peter, the same Peter who has now uh, been tested by the enemy. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. This is why Satan asked about Peter, sifting Peter as wheat. Because he knew that there was a future Peter had, and he wanted to destroy it. 
just like he knows there's a promise in your life that he wants to sidetrack, that he wants to destroy. He wants to get you off the plan of God in your life. Because I'm sure the enemy heard the same proclamation that Jesus gave to Peter at that point. He said, I'll get it. I'll fix Peter. And so he went behind and asked, hey, can I do this to Peter? And the accuser, Satan, is always looking to accuse. Always looking to thwart God's plan in general and for your life. And so you can best believe that the attacks of the enemy are for you specifically because God has a plan for you specifically. That he might sift you as wheat. Now I've got some modern day sifters here. And they t- this is one I, that we have at home. You can't see the inner workings of this, but it kind of turns around. And then this one here, it looks like a toy, right? <laughs> but this is the sifter here. So what you do is put the flour in and, and uh, it turns it around. Can you imagine the enemy saying, I want to take you and put you in this and do this to you? I want to do this to your life. I want to turn it upside down. I want to be so chaotic and, and crazy that you don't know whether you're coming or going. Now, in the Bible times, sifting was even worse because they had a basket. Sometimes it was shaped like a fan, and they would violently toss up the wheat and the shape, and then the wheat would fall down because it's a little bit heavier. And sometimes they had actual fans blowing or something that blows the shape away, and then the wheat would fall down. And sometimes they would have wheat, and they would beat it up against something so that it would break apart. And this is what the Satan has said that he wanted to do to Peter. He wanted to destroy his life. He wanted to bring chaos and confusion to his life so that he wouldn't know whether he was coming or going. And I'm sure many of you are students and many of you are starting the semester and there have been much chaos and confusion in your life. You don't know whether you're coming or going. And if you're a freshman, there's a lot to take in. I remember as a freshman, uh, I did well in school. Don't get me wrong. I did well in high school. I was a good student. <laughs> but my freshman year, I took chemistry one-on-one, and I got my first F ever. Ever. <laughs> and I said, God, is this for me, <laughs> or do I look for another? Did I make the wrong decision? <laughs> now, most of it was my fault because I had chemistry on a Friday at 3.30, who does that, right? Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> so I missed more classes than I attended. and um, <laughs> So I got what I deserved. <laughs> but God saw me through, so I had to take repeat chemistry again. I didn't get an F the second time, but I barely passed. Um, <laughs> and I realized something in, in that, that, um, you know, I'm off subject, but <laughs> I didn't know how to study. So high school was very easy for me. I didn't have to study. I could read. I could get it that day, and I didn't have to look at it again. It was very easy and simple. College was different. Um, and so I never developed study skills because I never had to. Because things were easy. And so it took me until like the second semester of my sophomore year to realize maybe if I asked the Lord, let me look back on it, if I asked the Lord, he might have told me sooner. Uh, 
but it went to the second semester of my sophomore year that I realized I don't know how to study. Um, and I had a, I had to uh, humbly go to the uh, study center that we had, a mentoring or whatever, to ask for help. And I wasn't used to that. I was like, Peter, I'll go with you through death or prison. And then when it came down to it, I was like, I don't want to go ask for help. I don't need help. I know what I'm doing. Uh, and it took me a while to humble myself and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I need some help. Um, so I say that to say, don't be like me. <laughs> if you find yourself in need of help, in the spiritual and the physical, get help. <laughs> don't waste time saying that you can do it on your own when the Holy Spirit is here or you have brothers and sisters in Christ who are here to help you. So that's my prayer. All right, so that he may sift you as wheat. The, the enemy wants to destroy your life. He wants you to uh, prove, what, uh, he wants to confuse you. He wants to get you discombobulated. Uh, one of the things that said in sifting you as wheat is an assault, uh, to assault you by furious and violent temptations or to try to its uttermost to assure you that therefore there are terrible trials coming your way and to press you harder than you think you could stand and your companions around you. That's the sifting that he wants to do. It's a violent shaking. Amos 9.9 talks about Israel being shaken. And that violent shaking can be good for us sometimes, can remove some things in our lives. It can uh, separate us from some things in our lives that we shouldn't be uh, connected to. But it also can cause us to wonder what's going on in our life. What is going on, man? seems like so much is going wrong. So much has been thrown at us. What are we doing? But there's hope. Because Jesus says, but I prayed. And and some version it says, but uh, I have prayed. In the Greek text, it indicates that it is past tense, that the Lord had already prayed for Peter and knew what was going to happen. Isn't it refreshing to know that Jesus is praying for us? Hebrews 7, 25, it says, By so much more Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has, un- has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Now, it's one thing to say that I'm interceding on your behalf. It's another thing to say that Jesus is interceding on your behalf. Because I may be like uh, those three that were with Jesus that falls asleep. We ask them to come and pray. (laughs) Or I may get tired and I may have to work. Or I may have something else going on. I may forget altogether. But Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Romans 8, 31 through 35, and I'm just going to read 34. It says, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He is praying for us. That's good news. That Jesus is praying for us, that our faith fails us not. 
Peter's faith would falter but not fail. Jesus did not see the temporary lapse that was to come as failure of faith because he knew that Peter would return to him. In this Christian life, we may falter, but we must never fail. If we have denied Jesus in some way, then we must return to him immediately. And sifting Peter and the other disciples as Satan's goal was to crush them and wreck their faith. In truth, the adversary wants to destroy the faith of every believer. Jesus didn't pray to remove the trial. This is really important because he could have prayed that you don't go through the trial. That would be our prayer. Please remove the trial so I don't have to go through the trial so I don't have to have the test. But he did not pray that prayer. He said that you would withstand. The waves and the winds will come against both houses, but it depends on where your house is built, whether it will withstand. James 1, 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into good trials. <laughs> Various trials, so there's good and bad, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What is the fruit of tested faith? Patience. Do you have patience? The testing of your faith is producing patience. So when the trials come, are you patient? When the situations don't go your way, are you patient? When the job is getting you upset and angry, are you patient? Because the testing of your faith, the fruit of that, the good thing of that, is patience. Now, when someone gets behind you, in front of you, in traffic, are you patient? That's for me, because I'm not most of the time. (laughs) The testing of your faith. This testing is proving a genuine test. This is just not... Uh, oh, uh, multiple choice. This is genuinely testing your faith. A trying of your faith to produce patience in you. And then he will test to know if you have patience. By testing your faith. First John 5, 1 through 5 said, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot also, loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this the love, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that we have overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Our faith is believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And if we believe that and hold firm to that truth, then the testing, the trials that come our way, we must remain patient and endure. So in in the Scriptures read, it says, When you have returned, strengthen your brothers. So there was a difference between, so there's some time, let me go back to verse 31. It says, and the Lord says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that you may 
that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So this is what they call a literary assumptions that have been made here. Because it says here, it starts out saying, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And then it says, when you return. So something happened between when I prayed for you and when you returned. Right? There's, there's that juxtaposition between, there's a literary assumption. Yeah, something took place, sitting between the promise of what was going to happen and the manifestation of what is to happen. And so many times we get impatient because we know the promise, but we don't have the manifestation. And we're waiting in the in-between time. And so we're waiting to see when is this going to happen for me? When is this going to take place? And we become impatient. And we can look at impatience in the Bible. And people got impatient and they did things out of their emotions. We talked about that in Proverbs. Letting your emotions rule. And then you make bad decisions because of that. Because we became impatient. And we wanted to do it our way. But the truth is, we need to lean on our faith and have patience. Jesus was confident that Simon Peter would get back up again and go to strengthen his brothers. And this is key. This is important. Uh, another reason the Lord allows us to suffer through things is so that we can learn to help others grow. Because it wasn't that Peter would just learn this thing and keep it to himself. But he told him, Learn the lesson and then go and show, show your faith to others so that they will grow. If I'm afflicted, if I have things going on in my life, it's important for me to tell that testimony, to tell that testimony of healing, to tell that testimony of redemption, to tell that testimony of how God delivered me, saved me, how I overcame. So that you are encouraged. And you can say, well, gosh, if he did it for you, he can do it for me. It's not just something that we should do on our own and keep to ourselves. But the truth is, we're going through this so that we can overcome and that we can share that testimony to others. And that they can overcome as well. It is imperative that we remain, that our faith remains, that we, our faith will not fail us, and that we remain patient and endure until patience seen, has seen its perfect work in our lives. That's all I have for you, y'all. <laughs> you may stand to your feet. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.